Thank you. Um, thanks, worship team, um, for leading us in worship into God's presence. Great to see you all. Um, really special welcome if this is the first time you've been to a, a sixth service. I think there's one or two of you here. Um, as I said, join in when you can, because um, although this is all very familiar to us, it might not be if you're a, a visitor. When uh, thinking about um, this service, as I think Tom already said I wasn't meant to be speaking, I was sort of praying, Lord, what is it that I should share on? And uh, the Bible passage that came to me uh, was in 1 Kings 17, and it's a bit of an obscure passage, but it's, it's quite well known. And um, I, just, I suppose I just challenge you, if you engage with it, I promise that God will speak to you through it. It's a really, really powerful, humbling passage. If you need a Bible, I'm going to read the whole of 1 Kings 17. We can get you a Bible. Um, if you, some of you got phones, look up 1 Kings 17. Who's got phones? That look it up. Does anyone sort of do it in old money at all? Uh, Tom does it in old money. Does anyone need a Bible? If you need a Bible, we can get one to you. And it's at the back of church. Just shout if you'd like to get a Bible. Um, Okay, I'm coming to that in a few moments. Um, the background, 1 Kings 16, is Ahab was king of Israel for 22 years and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And um, part of the problem was he'd done an unsuitable marriage. And um, she led him astray, but he'd allowed himself to be led astray. So he was very much culpable, they were worshipping idols and all sorts of different things. Um, when I was sort of a little bit younger in the church, I was aware of a few parents that used to pray for their children, that they wouldn't end up with unsuitable partners. Would any uh, grown-up here admit who's got a child to ever praying that sort of prayer? And is any child aware that that prayer's ever been prayed over them? And I better not ask the next question, did it work? Looking to one side. But um, yeah, I, I was aware. <laughs> There's a few married couples and others here. You can't answer that question. But is it like looking at my children? I'd want them to marry or have a partner that was suitable and take them closer to God rather than away from God. And King Ahab, he was a not able to do that by the sound of things. And we read in verse 33 of the passage, he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings before him. Uh, this part of scripture, therefore, we meet uh, the worst of kings, which is Ahab, and we're going to meet the best of prophets, or certainly the most famous of prophets, Elijah. And um, Elijah is one of the um, people, along with Moses, that appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, they together represent the law and the prophets. And, and Elijah, um, they were looking for Elijah when John the Baptist came. So there's a lot sort of tied up with him and his ministry. So 1 Kings 17, if you're following, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there'll neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I can't help, you'll have to stay with me, making a connection here. No rain 
And I'm thinking sanctions on Putin at the moment. No trade, our way of doing things. But the problem with no rain and no sanctions is it sometimes has an impact on the people that are being rebellious, but it seems to have an impact on everyone. So everyone uh, at that time, including Elijah, was affected by the drought. And everyone today, in our day and age, and if we do sanctions on Putin, we're all affected. Yet we need to do something. And God was trying to make a point. He was trying to get Ahab's attention. And I hope the Lord is trying to get President Putin's attention. But not just his attention. In the famine and the drought, I want to put it to you that he wants to get your attention and our neighbor's attention. God wants to get the attention of the whole world because whilst Putin may have done more extreme sins than anyone else, God wants to call all people to himself. So, 1 Kings 17. I should have prayed, shouldn't I? But would you speak to us this evening? Really just reading your scripture, your word. And I pray, Lord, that some of what I read this evening would cut to our hearts, change our attitudes and our behaviours in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to be reading a little chunk and then a bigger chunk. So verse 2 of 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the... Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, you'll drink from the brook, and I've instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. You just need to imagine by a river, ravens feeding Elijah. So he did what the Lord had told him, went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Um, There's a bit of refrain here. It's going from bad to worse, dodgy king. Now, prophet in isolation, no one to prophesy to. That's a bit of a problem. If you like to prophesy, uh, there, needs to be some, uh, be some, there needs to be some hearers. Sadly, um, when wicked rulers are replaced, there's often ones that queuing up to take their place. So that's the danger here. And God instructs Elijah to go to the ravine and he'd have known, it would have been known for its water supply. He also instructs the ravens morning and evening to feed him. Anyone know anything about ravens? They are far more likely to eat you than feed you, particularly if you're caught in the desert. I imagine they were waiting to eat him and not to feed him. They're carrion birds, unclean birds. Being a prophet is a dangerous occupation and we don't always want to hear the truth back to the whole Putin thing again, sort of putting around him the people that say what his itching ears want to hear. But Elijah's faithful, he's fearless and uh, he's courageous to speak. Back to the passage, verse 7, 1 Kings 17, it's a long section. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've instructed a widow there 
to supply you with food. Imagine the widow. So he went to Zarephath, where he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? This is thirsty Elijah. The brook has dried up. And, and, and she, as she was going, he called her, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, you think he'd be put off, don't be afraid, go home and do as I've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me, before you feed yourself, from what you've had and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Remember, there's been no rain. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him from the room in the, into the house and gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now, that I, now I know you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I don't read that story very often, but I find it one of the most powerful stories in the Old Testament, it seems to go from bad to worse. Elijah was rejected by his own people for speaking God's word. He needed to leave Israel, but effectively became a refugee, moved from his place of refuge, then by the Kirith Ravine where the brook dried up, 
Life is at risk, no home, no food, no water. God sends him to Zarephath, a Gentile territory. They didn't share the belief and traditions of Israel's people, a strange place to be sent as a refugee. Some this day may be asking a similar question. Jesus is referenced to the widow of Zarephath is um, heard as well in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was rejected by his hometown, the people he knew and loved, they knew him. He stood up uh, with the scroll of Isaiah and uh, basically said he was going to come and free captives, etc., etc. And today in your hearing, Jesus says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. And guess you know what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill him. Luke 4, 24 to 26. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet, this is Jesus speaking when they were going to try and kill him, um, is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, not to his own people, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. Prophets like Elijah needed a range of qualities. They needed to be able to hear the word of Lord and have the boldness to speak it. And the widow too in this passage was very, very courageous. So I've got three main points to make this evening. The first one is courage to ask, courage to ask. The second one, courage to share. And the third one, courage to cry out. Courage to ask, courage to share, courage to cry out. Sorry, no PowerPoint. Firstly, courage to ask. It takes a lot of effort in a busy life to do PowerPoint, by the way, and I didn't have the time, I'm really sorry. Um, Elijah was a foreigner and a stranger and asks a widow for food. Not an unreasonable request. Might have heard Jesus say something like this, give me, give us today our daily bread. This is the vulnerable helping the vulnerable, a woman at death's door. She has nothing and is doing everything she can to keep herself and her son alive. It's not quite the same, but we got an emergency phone call from a neighbor, hope he's not listening, of Alison's dad, who's looking after his wife, my mother-in-law, who's sort of approaching the end of life. He's 87, her legs have packed up this week, she's got dementia, all sorts of issues going on here. He's now got a dodgy back. And I won't go into the gruesome details of what it's like to look after someone nearing the end of life, but it's not very pleasant. Uh, but it's tough to ask. You have to have courage to ask, and Alison's dad is quite proud and he's managed up to now, and he doesn't really want to bother us. I want to say to everyone this evening, 
that we need to learn to ask. We need to know our limits. We mustn't let pride get in the way. The widow explained her situation to Elijah, but is persuaded to give despite her needs. God was the provider, and she trusted. She trusts. Elijah lives. She lives. Can you think of a situation where you need to ask for help? I can think um, of situations where I need to ask people to do things, and sometimes I make all sorts of excuses about why I shouldn't ask them. But actually, um, and in this situation, what's he doing asking a widow on death's door for anything? But he does. He's at the end of himself. She's at the end of herself. Yet God provides, and it's for her to respond. And I just say to you, make it, we don't want to be putting guilt stuff on people, but sometimes we just need to ask. And even if the answer's no, folks feel so good about being noticed. The second, courage to share. Um, just exploring this, did you know there was a distinction between hoarding and collecting? A distinction between hoarding and collecting. I'd, I was going to throw these sorts of questions out, but I don't want to put anyone under any pressure. Um, some people out of fear hoard a lot of stuff. Um, and I suppose they don't need it, but I just might need that one day, and I might do this. And we saw a little bit like that. Any, I, you don't have to answer, but anyone have sort of a, a downstairs room full of toilet rolls when the pandemic broke? But we've all got that sort of tendency in us to have stuff that we don't need. A collector might sort of take pride in things and and not be embarrassed to show off the collection. But if you're hoarding stuff that you really shouldn't have, you're not letting anyone into your house to see that sort of thing. We gather all sorts of clutter in our house. We've got three of our four children come home. Uh, they don't think it's clutter. Uh, Alison does. And uh, we've even got a motorbike, for goodness sake, that's hardly ever been used in the garage. It doesn't work. It's been there for a couple of years. That would go in the skip if I had any say in it at all. We don't need it. I wonder what out of fear you're called to hoard, or maybe out of selfishness, you don't feel able to share? So that's a tough question. Um, sweets, favorite sweets, I don't know whether that works. But um, wasn't there a, this is showing my age now, but there was something about Rolos, wasn't there, years and years and years and years ago? Uh, would you share your last Rolo? with anyone? Would you share a bit of flour and oil that was there to keep you and your son alive? 
We know um, elsewhere in the Bible, and I haven't got time to say, but Joseph was told by God there'd be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. That seemed very, very wise. So we can't sort of lift this as a principle from the Bible, but the widow could hardly be described in this passage as a hoarder. Um, If she shared, however, the promise for her, if this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And um, I got lots of examples here of um, this sort of thing and I haven't got time to share, but with our Ukraine project at the moment, I think nearly £30,000 has gone to them, which is what we've collected. And I'm watching to see how it's used up. And if it's used well, I think God's just going to provide more and more and more through this congregation. Just um, thinking of people sharing out of their nothingness, I visited Ukraine um, some years ago, just before lockdown, and the family I stayed with was quite poor, but I was treated like a king. They shared out of their nothingness. I can remember years and years and years ago going to Albania. They'd been convinced by <laughs> false um, messages and brainwashing that they were the most wealthy country in the whole of Europe, and everyone was trying to get in uh, and take all their riches from them. They had all these pillar boxes built everywhere to, to protect their riches. They had nothing. But when we visited, the people gave out of their nothing. I was treated like a king. As we share, I believe that God brings a multiplication factor, especially when our giving is motivated by love. God guides and provides, especially when we come to an end of ourselves. The widow losing her husband it made her really, really, really vulnerable. Surely this was the bottom of the pit. And when it could get no lower, then her son died as she was hosting the servant of the Lord. You've heard the end of the story. Where might God be inviting you to share out of your riches or out of your poverty? A skill Finance, a listening ear, care. My final point, and it links a little bit with last week, courage to cry out. Last week's Bible passage was a gift. It was out of God's mercy uh, that um, we're invited to give our whole lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. So I come back to this idea of mercy and link it again with prayer. You remember me saying last week, uh, it's the, one of the most ancient prayers of the church. Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. I believe that we touch God's heart when we cry out for his mercy. 
in 1 Kings 17, using this weak and vulnerable widow and this weak and vulnerable prophet who was at the end of himself. Uh, He prays this prayer. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? It's the why, why, why question. And he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Persistence again, again, again. This was a seemingly impossible request. But as we know from Scripture, nothing is impossible with God. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, verse 22. Look, your son is alive. Verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. One final simple thought. What is the cry of your heart tonight? Please cry it.